0: This is Channel 253.
1: Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com.
0: Welcome to Crossing Division. This is Evelyn Lopez. We are coming to you from the gorgeous Moonyard studio in North Tacoma. And today my guest is Anders Ibsen. Anders, you probably know from the Tacoma City Council. He is also, I would say, a very successful up-and-coming real estate agent. Thank you. And uh, Anders, how would you describe yourself and your, what's your current, like, you know, way you would say, come to me for this?
2: Oh, sure. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I'm still a council member for the next three months. So, mm-hmm. I mean, come to me with potholes, right? Okay. <laughs> for, for any um, any question you might have about municipal services, regional and state uh, governmental questions. Um, I'm also a, a realtor as well as an appraiser. So, mm. uh, I'm the guy, the bank or you if there's a, a private uh, type of uh, issue like a divorce or an estate or probate issue um, who comes to visit your home to determine its worth. I also do similar work as a realtor to help you move into a new place or help you sell your current place.
0: Great. Well, how's an easy way to get a hold of you?
2: Oh, sure. So you can go to AndersIbsenHomes.com if you're interested in real estate stuff. Um, Call, text, email anytime. I'm at 253-370-0201. Or you can, if you have a city-related issue, just go to cityoftacoma.org.
0: Okay, excellent. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about, last time we talked, I talked with a couple of people about, well, a couple of people, uh, Eric Bjornson and Josh Jorgensen in particular about, oh, yeah. you know, housing and development and building and all of those things. And today I want to follow up and get a little bit more into um, the grainy detail. I like grainy. Good. So I want to talk about these new... Um, they're ADUs and and that I know DU is dwelling unit but what's the A accessory okay accessory dwelling units how they work um, and, but my real focus is also going to be on what do neighborhoods think of these and what do buyers coming into neighborhoods think and the reason I want to ask all these questions is I want to speculate on what if I wanted to try to freeze or drive down the prices in my neighborhood What are, like, guerrilla anti-gentrification things that I could do to ruin my neighborhood? (laughs) Okay? That's our focus.
2: Why do you hate America, Evelyn? (laughs) How to ruin a
0: neighborhood, (laughs) Anders. That's what we're focused on today. Okay, great. But let's start with these um, ADUs. Tell me about what they are Mm. and sort of if I wanted to put an accessory dwelling unit in my backyard, what would I do?
2: All right. Well, first off, I got terrible news for you. It's going to do the opposite of ruining your neighborhood. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I know. Heaven forbid. So ADUs are great um, mm-hmm. for everyone's information because we love our acronyms here in, right. in government as well as real estate. So an accessory dwelling unit, another way of referring to it might be like a backyard cottage, mm-hmm. mother-in-law apartment. Mm-hmm. It can be either attached or detached. So it's always been legal in the city of Tacoma to have an attached unit. Okay. Think of that like a basement with a second kitchen or mm-hmm. in a second laundry or or um, an addition that you put to your home. But basically, it's space that isn't really the main unit in your home, but it's it's not like a duplex. It's mm-hmm. kind of that, that gray area in between. And really what was different is that the city recently legalized detached units. So okay. now most people in single-family neighborhoods, which is most of the city, can effectively build these units. And they can be as small as about 500, 600 square feet, as large as about 1,100 square feet. Mm-hmm. So that, and they can be either um, mother-in-law units in your backyard. They can be above your garage if they're detached so there's a great deal of flexibility. Okay. And there's significant value adds in my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, people love to have them for a variety of reasons, either to have extended family or caregivers mm-hmm. live on site for aging in place or for daycare or or if you simply want to stay in your home for a while and just rent it out and have someone live there for the extra income, there's mm-hmm. that option too.
0: Well, one of the things that I liked about it, you know when we talk about our housing problems in Tacoma, Obviously, lack of housing and lack of affordable housing are right at the top of the list. Sure. And the nice thing about these backyard units is that this is like, there's no way that you could affordably, let's say, build 2,000 units in six months. No. Right? But you could have 2,000 households in Tacoma decide that they want to build these and have them ready to go in six months. I mean, it is the quickest potential for flooding the market with more affordable housing options.
2: That's right. And a lot of people just don't know about them. So I think it's great we're having this conversation to promote this as what could be a viable option for a lot of people.
0: Mm-hmm. So if you, let's say, um, you know where I live, I live on the on the west side yeah. of Tacoma and in houses that were all sort of, you know, 1968 vintage, mm-hmm. big backyards. If I were to build, a let's say, a studio apartment building back there, what kind of rent do you think I could charge?
2: That's a good question. It really depends on the the uh, square footage. It depends yeah, the on, amenities on and... the amenities, the neighborhood. But I mean, I've I've seen ADUs that rent basically comparable to um, to duplex or apartment um, mm-hmm. rents, right? Like in the North End, for example. I'm um, just going off the top of my head. I mean, mm-hmm. you you could easily charge um, well north of um, you know seven hundred, eight hundred or more. Yeah. Um I know someone who, and this is back when Airbnb was more of a thing. I think, yeah. I think short term leases have kind of Oversaturated a little bit in Tacoma, but back in the heyday of short-term leases, I knew someone who was um, airbnb a a studio in the basement um, for about a thousand a month. Wow! And that was in South Tacoma. Wow! So I mean,
3: a little okay. bit different.
2: I mean, people pay a premium for short-term leases um, because of the flexibility, mm-hmm. but um their market rent they're they're pretty much comparable with um with other units mm-hmm.
0: cuz that could be a big thing i know for um especially older residents who are on yeah. a fixed income if they're looking at you know is there a way i can stay in my home mm-hmm. that's one way that you might be able to add some value i know some people who are contemplating i have a, an older friend who's contemplating that she might like to build a, a dwelling unit in her backyard, move into that, and then have her granddaughter maybe move into her house. Oh of
2: course, yeah. Yeah. yeah and then there's all sorts of different peculiarities. I mean I, I know one in the Proctor district that's fairly house like that's renting for about twelve hundred. Oh, wow. Effectively. And there's there's some that are as little as maybe six or seven or eight hundred. Mm-hmm. It really just depends on the amenities, the neighborhood, mm-hmm. the location and how house like versus how how cottage like for lack of a better term yeah. it is.
0: Are people – are you having a sense that people are embracing this opportunity and really looking at doing it, or is it more just something we're talking about?
2: So a little bit in between. Mm -hmm. Um, There is construction that's ongoing. I actually have a friend who runs a company whose purpose is financing and constructing or rehabbing ADUs, and they have several projects that are currently ongoing, and I do see it, and – Um, Recently, the Northwest MLS or the Multiple Listing Service, that's the the big realtor database that feeds Redfin and Zillow and all that. You see your pretty photos on your Mm -hmm. phone. That's where it originally comes from is the MLS. So maybe just a year ago, if not less, the MLS recently added additional tools for narrowing searches based on um, accessory dwelling units that are either attached or detached. So now it's much easier to search for these features if you have a buyer's agent and you're working and you'd really want a property with one of these things. Now it's way easier for you to do so through your database.
0: Hmm, interesting. Um, have you helped any people who, are, who came to you and say, we're really interested in, how, in getting a house that has this extra um, maybe income potential or extra living space attached to it?
2: Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm working with a buyer right now. I met her in an open house who specifically said, I'm really interested in either a basement with a second kitchen or a house with an ADU so we can age in place and so we can have someone living there.
0: Wow. That's great. Okay. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, as an idea, is um, so I was just trying to think of ways to get more housing fast, mm-hmm. right? And so the other thing was um, taking over the vacant houses that we see boarded up around town. I know uh, from two weeks ago, Habitat for Humanity has renovated um, a really cute little house it's on the corner of Eleventh and Sprague, yeah, um, and did a beautiful job as far as I can tell. And I don't know how often that happens, but there are places around town that have, you know, through neglect, sort of are out of the market. And I don't know, do you have any idea how how common is it for us to be able to figure a way to get them back on the market or – for people to be able to like, buy them up cheap.
2: Sure, it, it just depends. So if, if mm-hmm. it's city owned, then there are rules and regulations and processes. So the big thing, anytime you involve the government, is as you will know as an attorney, is the Constitution. And mm-hmm. our state Constitution is really, really big on the government cannot gift private property. So yeah. or we cannot gift public resources mm-hmm. to private entities without fair market value. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the same thing as eminent domain. We can't condemn a property without paying the owner fair market yeah. value. And that's that's the federal, state, all, all those constitutions. So um, that's the first thing. So um, my understanding is that um, the resources are, are still pretty constrained because a lot of the money for rehabbing these, these funds doesn't come directly from the city. I mean, no. uh, it comes mostly from HUD. It comes yeah. mostly from um, the Federal um, Housing Administration and – Guess who's running that? Right. Know? So, um,
0: or, or not running. It. Or not,
2: or not running it. Yeah. Right, and not resourcing it too. Mm-hmm. So, it's a little bit different now with Democrats in charge of the House, but um, federal funding has always been so precarious and so and stagnant, if not declining. So yeah. that that's kind of the issue there. Um, I know something, an issue that you discussed um, prior to the show, and something mm-hmm. that you know you might want to talk more in depth about would be the idea of public banking because that's...
0: Yeah, tell me about that.
2: Yeah, so it's actually very timely because the state of California is about to pass a significant bill that could lead to huge reverberations throughout their market. So um, for clarification, the public banking that I'm discussing isn't um, the government as a retail banker. It's not a place for private citizens to put their money. Um, What I'm discussing is more like North Dakota, where in North Dakota's public bank, which has been around for about 100 years it's more like a banker's bank, mm-hmm. more like an FHA home loan where a local private lender originates a loan to a business, to um, a consumer, to someone who wants to refi debt or refi student loans. And then the government basically augments that private loan with what's called the participatory loan, which is basically adding a quarter million to quarter million to create half a million. Mm-hmm. And In that kind of situation, everyone wins. The private lender wins because their risk gets cut in half, Mm -hmm. and yet they have the same asset in their portfolio. The borrower wins because the borrower gets a lower interest rate, and the government gets an asset, which Mm -hmm. it then earns interest off of, which basically is non-tax income that they can use to pay for services. And what you have is also an incredible stability in the lending lending market. You have um, greater immunity to market cycles, where credit usually freezes up during recessions, which compounds the problem and basically creates the recession because Mm -hmm. you you have lending that freezes up as a result of consumer behavior. And as a result, North Dakota actually has the highest per capita amount of smaller community banks, a state that has fewer people in the city of Seattle. Yeah. So – What's happening with California right now, and, and other states and other municipalities are looking into this, and as a council member, this has been one of my my uh, little academic interests, yeah. is um, California right now is is about to pass in their, in their um, state assembly. It passed their senate, and mm-hmm. now the assembly is going to ratify it, and Governor Newsom indicated he's going to sign it, is um, a bill that grants cities and counties extensive authority to create their own banks. And what this would mean is they place their own money, their own – public deposits instead mm-hmm. of in a big Wall Street bank in a public depository. Wow. And so uh, for a city with billions and billions of dollars like um, like Los Angeles County mm-hmm. and you know other major cities and, and other cities that can work together to have a regional authority perhaps, um, this would allow them to leverage significant money working with local lenders for capital projects, mm-hmm. uh, for green infrastructure, for local business lending, um, as well as other great consumer debt reduction tools like student loan refinancing. Uh, North Dakota is also a secondary mortgage market. So Mm -hmm. instead of having Wells Fargo own your mortgage, you could literally have the state refi your mortgage, own your mortgage, get a lower interest rate. And if you have to renegotiate your mortgage in another 2008-type crisis, God forbid, you would have a human that you can actually talk to. And and that human answers to people that you elect.
0: Wow. Um... So you think it, – it sounds like it's likely to pass in it's California. It's likely to pass in
2: California, right. And
0: do you think we'll see something similar in Washington?
2: Well, we've had people pushing it for some time, and, and there's, there's a lot of tremendous support in, in Washington state. And this is kind of the gossipy stuff you wanted to talk I about I do Arabic.
0: always want gossip, yes. Right.
2: So it's – obviously there's the, the Wall Street banking faction that doesn't right, want it Right, that's
0: horrified. Right. That's this. horrified
2: at the idea of, a, of an alternative to their monopoly on the business mm-hmm. model. But there's also some ideological mm-hmm. – um, Resistance from the, the usual suspects, and I think my understanding is there's a bit of a turf battle between the treasurer's office and um, um, the proponents of this. Well,
0: keep in mind, currently the treasurer's office is run by a Republican.
2: Well, prior to that, even so.
0: Oh, even with McIntyre.
2: Yeah, so okay. there, There's a lot of there's a lot of um, kind of um, what what I felt at least my two cents yeah. was kind of. Administrative kind of turf battle. Sort of I mean, stay
0: out of my banking area. Sort of, yeah. Mm-hmm. I
2: mean, it's not like there's any of that in the AG's office or anything, right? Never, but, I mean, never. never. Of course, yeah. Uh, I love the Republic, but right. uh, but um, that that's kind of my understanding. And it's it's a different structure. It's a different kind of state, and you know, there's different mm-hmm. different jurisprudence, different case law, but. Huh. Um, I think the law would definitely support it, but it's really a question of is there a legislative authority? Right. So Senator Hasegawa has been pushing this forever back, yeah. when, back when he was representative Hasegawa. Mm-hmm. And really the question is, do we start this on the state level or do mm-hmm. we kind of do what we did with paid sick leave, with the minimum wage, mm-hmm. with, start it local. With, yeah, with, with all the, the gun safety protections and start local, percolate upwards and mm-hmm. see what works. Mm-hmm. So especially if California passes this, uh, we'll, we'll see, a, I think, a significant increase in the momentum for this idea, which, mm-hmm. which so many people from so many different ideological factions, mm-hmm. and so many different stakeholder groups can really get behind, is basically using our own money, our own tax dollars that we're already paying... Right, to
0: build our own...
2: For our own economy, right? Yeah. Rather than a rentier class that'll never see it in right. our own community.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit more about money. Um, yeah. So before we went on the air, um, you asked me a question about... Um, what you're in, ask again, what my income would need to be to qualify for- Down payment some, assistance. For down payment assistance.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, so so
0: what would my income have to be to qualify for? Well, first of all, let's say, what is down payment
2: assistance? Sure. So buying houses is, is expensive. In it the, is. In the Northwest. Yeah. The, you know, median Tacoma prices in the mid 300s and we're considered cheap, mm-hmm. right? In Seattle, well, and compared
0: to Seattle, we are cheap.
2: Yeah, high sixes, low sevens. And yeah. That's the average. So, I mean, you, you can have Tacoma level prices in South Seattle and you've got- West Seattle and the
0: mm-hmm. North,
2: which is in the millions, right? But average, you know, it's about twice hours. But the um, average down payment for uh, for most transactions nationally is about 5%. So mm-hmm. the, the average home buyer doesn't put put down 20%. It's a myth that that's what you have to have to buy a home or be competitive. Um, you can totally win in multi-offer bid situations with 5% or even less sometimes, but um, finding that cash, right? Because five yeah. percent of three hundred thousand is still a great deal for a lot of people. Right. So thankfully we have these great programs run through the state government, run through other organizations that that are called down payment assistance, which mm-hmm. actually basically gives you a second mortgage. It's mm-hmm. basically a, a very low interest loan to be applied to your your down. mortgage. Yeah. And basically you're you're just then responsible for closing costs if that. I mean okay. in theory. It's it's not very realistic for Tacoma in today's market, but you know let the market shift a couple of years and you might start seeing this. In theory, it is it is possible to buy a house with nothing out of pocket. You can wow. in theory get a down payment assistance mm-hmm. loan from the Washington State Housing Commission or from the City of Tacoma. Tacoma mm-hmm. also has an equivalent. Um, ask the seller to pay all the closing costs, mm-hmm. and then you know. Technically, you, you have an amount down. It's just a second mortgage, mm-hmm. and then you can move in. Right. And I mean, zero down has always been a reality for VA buyers. Right. And that's, in, and that's, VA loans are terrific because there's no PMI and there's yeah. so many great things there. But to answer your question, so the most money you can make in your household to qualify for the Washington state. Down payment assistance program. Yes. One hundred twenty thousand dollars.
0: Get out! It's, that that's a, that really shocks me. Yeah, actually, that's a. I think that means a lot of people would. A qualify. lot of people.
2: It's it's just like ADU. So many people don't know about these tremendous resources at their disposal. And there's so many great organizations out there in Tacoma, like Sound Outreach, that can help you with credit counseling, with with strategizing debt consolidation to make you look better for a lender, okay. so your interest rate goes down and your debt to income ratio looks better.
0: So if I've been, let's say, uh, let's say my income is, let's say. 65000 a year, Yes, and I've been paying um, 1200 a month for my apartment. Mm-hmm. Do you think I should be talking to uh, a realtor about whether I can maybe figure out a way to buy something?
2: If that's your goal, right? Yeah. I mean, it, I
0: mean, if I want that. Right.
2: If you want that, yeah. I mean, you're losing money every year. Yeah. So really, the biggest difference between owning and renting, again, assuming your life circumstances and your personal goals. hmm guide you there, right? I mean, I would never counsel people to do something they don't feel ready for or, right. or that doesn't make sense. I mean, if you're active duty military, you shouldn't be owning, right? I mean, well, being, being although, a landlord on the other side of the world, right? Although
0: I will say, <laughs> um, I mean, we actually bought our house with a VA loan because Joe was in the JAG Corps, but- um,
2: right. Ac- e- and When you're active duty?
0: Um it was no after.
2: Oh, after right. Yeah. Right. Oh, a, if, if you're a veteran, absolutely. Veteran, yeah. yeah. VA is a terrific tool.
0: And he, um, he, uh, and he actually knows a lot of people who, every place they were stationed, they'd buy a little house. Oh, really? And so when they got ready to retire, they sort of had this portfolio of little houses everywhere. Oh, wow. They must have they, had some
2: great property managers.
0: Well, I think you know, in the military, I think you tend to get this sort of take care of its own type thing. Oh, okay. So I think that you know.
2: Okay. Well, I'm glad that worked. Yeah.
0: It, yeah. So anyway.
2: Yeah. But anyway, back to your question mm-hmm. for people who do want to make that choice and that's that's what makes sense for you, think of the difference between owning and renting in terms of time. So, as an owner, mm-hmm. as you well know, time is on your side. Right. Because you, oh, get, yeah. you get your monthly payment locked in, your interest mm-hmm. rates locked in, and, and you can always refi to get an even lower rate. Right. And your equity just builds. Um, you pay down your debt and you, you make money for doing nothing because the market shifts and the northwest uh, i think is basically structurally always going to be a sellers market even mm-hmm. though we're even though we're about to fluctuate into a kind of a recession next year,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it doesn't change the fact that it's nice here, that we, it have, is nice that, here. We, that we have temperate weather, we have so many jobs and such a concentration of employment and opportunity, and especially as climate change ravages so many parts of our country and the Northwest, by all projections, is going to be spared from a lot of the worst of that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: If you just take the multi-decade approach, the, the Northwest is going to have significant demand for people wanting to live here and mm-hmm. move here and work here. And when you pair that with the constraint on supply, I mean, we're not going to be Hong Kong or Singapore. Singapore right. or, or Mumbai anytime soon. Yeah. Um, what is incredibly tight supply paired with incredibly high demand due to prices? Typically, right. Yeah. So if you play the long game, um, your, your equity is going to is going to shoot up, right? And, mm-hmm. and then we're going to have all sorts of different problems to deal with. Um, but so that's that's how time benefits you as an owner. Yeah. How does time hurt you if you're a renter? What what do property managers tend to do year after year after year? Eighty-six some percent in a national survey, of property managers say that every year rent goes up. They te- they intend to increase the rent. Yeah. So, make time your ally if you do have the means and if you do have the desire to do so.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good, interesting. So, um, let me ask you this. So, we thought we talked a little about ADUs and that in fact. I think there were some initial concerns that, oh, gosh, if you allow people to build extra dwelling space in their backyards, you're going to have more traffic in the neighborhoods. You're going to have more who knows what in the neighborhoods. Well, there's a lot more pearl
2: clutching in some neighborhoods. A lot
0: but, of pearl clutching. Right. And it may depend on, yes, some neighbors have pearls to clutch and right. some neighbors don't. Um, but it doesn't sound like that's turning into a big negative at all.
2: No. No one cares and everyone loves them.
0: OK. No one cares. Everyone loves them. So what is a big deal? When mm-hmm. you've got people you're helping um, find a place, what are the things that they're saying? This is like my must-have, most important thing, or mm-hmm. this is like a, an absolute deal breaker. I would never.
2: Right. So if you're talking about buyers, so yeah. it really depends on the buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are broader archetypes. So, for example, first-time buyers, you know, are usually have a couple things in common. One of which is a desire for move-in-ready condition. Most okay. first-time buyers. Um, tend to not have that much experience with mm-hmm. um, with working around a house. So they don't and, want
0: a total fixer-upper in most cases. No,
2: and in a lot of cases, you won't be able to get that financed anyway, because uh. a lot of first-time home buyers use FHA, for example, which is another fantastic tool. FHA loans are, are great for people with not the best credits and mm-hmm. who don't have an arm and a leg to put down. Um, FHA home loans, by the way, you can have as low as a 3.5% down payment, and your credit can be 600s, maybe even high 500s, and you can still get a home loan. I mean, how, wow. how cool is that, you know? Um, but in exchange, the federal government, um, well, for one, there's, there's some higher monthly payments and there's some origination costs, but in the appraisal in particular, and this, I, I do a lot of FHA appraisal still on the side. Um, they have a lot of safety and structural standards for the house. Mm-hmm. So with a couple of exceptions, um, you're not going to be able to buy a fixer with an FHA home loan or or a VA home loan or a USDA home loan or even most conventional home loans if it's mm-hmm. if it's in really bad shape. The only exception is what's called a rehab loan, which is where um, it's, it's another great FHA program. And this is if you have lots of patients and you're just – it's like a short sale. I mean you just right. have to suck it up and just expect a lot of – You know, a lot of frustration for over a year, right? Uh But with a rehab loan, you get a loan for not just the purchase price of the house, but also the future anticipated value once it's restored. And then you can use that that value in part to 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 hire contractors and fix it up and actually make it. Livable, so okay. and that's a great program. But again, you have to have a stable place to live for about a year, and mm-hmm. it's always more. It's just like contractors, uh, mm-hmm. and just like repairs of any sort. It's always more expensive than you think. It's always going to be longer than you think, and mm-hmm. it's really frustrating. And I've I've worked on some of those transactions. I know some people going through it, and it's um, in most cases I, I really would caution people against doing it unless they know what they're getting into. But it's it frustrating. Is, but it is a tool, right? Yeah. So to answer your question, so first time buyers in most cases want move in ready condition, mm-hmm. and um, A lot of cosmetic repairs tend to have the most impact um, Mm -hmm. just based on price behavior uh, because typically most first-time buyers don't have the resources for you know, higher end um, type of yeah. of features like those coffered ceilings or right. view, view property or the or, granite countertops, right? Or yeah. or heated radiant tile flooring or mm-hmm. things like that. In most cases, right? So it's so it's all about the quartz. It's all about the granite. It's all about those those really kind of nice cosmetic things because mm-hmm. that's that's the only quote unquote nice thing you can have if you're in the in the High 200, low 300 range in Tacoma, right? Yeah. Um So that's that's one archetype I've noticed. Um, investors, um, there are, there are many different ty- kinds of investors. They're not they're not all cash buyers. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of investors who do use conventional financing. Uh, one of the biggest differences is that um, that low down payment option that a lot of people have. So I mean, most down payments can be as low as five percent in a lot mm-hmm. of cases. Um, but that's if you're owner occupying. If you're okay. if you're an investor owner and you're not going to actually live in the place you're buying, in most cases the minimum you can put down is 15%. So okay, so that's inv- a higher threshold. It is right. And if it's if it's a multi unit then um, if it's like a two to four units, then it's it's a minimum of 25%. If it's mm-hmm. conventional, if you move in FHA, it's 20%. If it's higher than four units, it's a commercial loan. It's, it's a completely different animal, okay. and it's not really my area of expertise. Um, kind of fun fact with ADUs. Mm-hmm. So since an ADU is technically single family, even though you might basically get the rent of a duplex, yeah, um, and maybe even functionally it might be a duplex, but it's still single family in this gray area, um, you can technically, if, if you're an investor, save a lot of money up front by buying a single family with an ADU because- that 15% requirement still applies. Now, the only difference, and this is kind of really getting into the weeds because yeah. we like to be granular, right. gran- granular. Right. Um So if you buy two to four unit properties, um, lenders can count the income of those units in your debt to income ratio. Um, huh. So, I mean, you're buying a duplex, for example, and you know they count what your debt to income ratio is to determine what kind of cash you need to close, what your interest rate is going to be, whether or not you qualify for that amount of lending at all. And If you're you're charging market rent or if one unit is vacant and you intend to rent it out for market rent, that basically gets counted towards your debt-to-income, and that helps you. Um, Interesting. But if you're buying single family and you're buying with an ADU, which, again, I mean, it's a good deal. You get to save 10% on your down payment. Mm -hmm. Um, The lender cannot use the accessory units in your debt-to-income ratio, just the rent from the primary unit. Okay. And so it's kind of a wonky, kind of an interesting distinction, but – like most things, it depends on your goals. Depends on what you want to do, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so back to investors. Investors are mostly looking for return. Right. Um, some investors intend to live there. Some investors um, want to um, just purely have the return. But. Return comes down to either cash flow, appreciation, or both right. uh, for reversion value. Uh, most investors aren't flippers, and that's a good thing. Flipping is really hard. Right. And just like uh, rehab loans, just like any other kind of fix uh, fixing type of situation, people always underestimate the cost, always underestimate how long it takes to turn that property mm-hmm. over. Uh, the most successful flippers are, are contractors. Sure. Uh, they can do it themselves, or right. they have
0: teams who can do it.
2: They have teams, and they, and they do it seasonally. They mm-hmm. do it during slow per- periods in the year. So they have all these people who work for them. There's nothing to do. Oh great! I'll I'll flip a house, right? Yeah. So those are the people that I would advise to, you know, actually consider flipping. For the most mm-hmm. part, just buy something that's moving ready. For the most right. part, uh, and then finally, there's people who are scaling down. Those those are the other of uh, the main um, buyer archetypes. Yeah. And um, so smaller space is usually more desirable because yeah, because you're you're looking for something that's easier to maintain. Mm-hmm. Uh, condos can be pretty desirable for that reason mm-hmm. because you don't have to maintain the outside. Just mm-hmm. just pay an HOA fee and just get that stuff done. Um, main floors, uh, obviously, ramblers tend mm-hmm. to really come into play there. Uh, main floor masters in particular, I've noticed, mm-hmm. are, are really, really appealing for that reason because mm-hmm. you can have that extra utility, you know, the walk-in closet. Right. Um, uh, it, it's just really appealing stuff. Yeah. And um, more seasoned home buyers in general, whether they're scaling down or, or scaling up in the case of, of you know, people who want to get a bigger home because mm-hmm. they're having a family or their family is getting bigger, is um, – Remember how we're talking about first-time home buyers have that that real sensitivity to aesthetics about yes. the the glitz and the glam and all that, and, and how that has a an outsized impact on price behavior. Um, that doesn't go away. People will always pay a premium for you know the, the nice modern kitchen, the open mm-hmm. concept, those kind of things, but. It's it's just common sense. As you get more seasoned, as especially if you buy an older house, um, you realize the appeal of oh, it's it's Romex wiring, it's not knob and tube, or oh, they have newer insulation, or the the foundation isn't settling, or right, or uh, it's the, the the plumbing is newer PEX, it's not galvanized, right. or they put in a new side sewer. Wow, I don't have to worry about a fifteen thousand dollar surprise expense. and yeah, poop in my basement. It's you know, not,
0: yeah, <laughs> right. it's not as sexy, but it's like more critical.
2: Well, I think insulation is incredibly sex label. Uh, okay,
0: I, <laughs> I don't want to get into that.
2: Well, I know Our yeah. value all day long. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I mean, in, in general, there are archetypes of buyers, but um, every situation is different. Every priority is different. And it's, okay. it's it's about being strategic and finding what works best for you.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, let's take a break here. And then when we come back, I want to talk to you about specific things that people hate and what we can do with that.
1: Okay. This is Nate Bowling, host of the Nerd Farmer podcast on the Channel 253 Network. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. Alaska is our hometown airline. They remember the TAC and SeaTAC, if you know what I mean. Just the other day, I saw Alaska running an ad in a local magazine with the tagline, fly like the mountain is out. If Alaska Airlines can be South Sound Proud, we can be too, and choose our local airline. I know a few people who work at Alaska. I bet you do too. Sometimes I see them when I fly, and sometimes I see them out and about, enjoying life in the 253. And what's awesome is Alaska is the best airline around. Local and the best way to fly, that's an easy choice to make. I'm Nate Bowling, Alaska Airlines MVP Gold, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com.
0: Okay, we're back. Hey, before we get started on things you hate, which is what I love to talk about, let's talk a little bit about Channel 253. So Channel 253 provides, I think, some of the best arrays of podcasts in Tacoma. If you want to know what's going on locally, a Channel 253 podcast will loop you in. Add to that our adult civics happy hour activities, and we are sort of the go-to place for civics education in Tacoma. And you can become a member. It is only $4 a month. That is darn cheap. That is cheaper than a grande flat white from Starbucks, because that's what I get, and it's more than 4 bucks. Or you can pay forty dollars for the year. So if you're not a member, consider becoming a member, channel two five three. So Anders. So I have one. What I really want to talk about next is what are some things that people say, oh no, I, I don't want that. And and I always sort of imagine that people are like, you know, oh I'm so I'm thinking back to when I was when we were buying in Tacoma twenty mm-hmm. years ago. Right. You know, ooh, the schools are bad. Ooh, the neighborhoods are dangerous. Ooh, I don't know about Tacoma. Mm-hmm. And I th- always thought Basically, you're all racists, right? Because what you really don't like is that Tacoma is a very diverse and very dynamic Those area. Those people. Those people. Right. Exactly. But what do you hear now, sort of in modern market, of what are the things that can um, really make a deal go south? Like environmental stuff?
2: Sure. Not so much. Mm-hmm. So big caveat that a lot of people's must-haves can easily be the next person's deterrents, no right? Yeah. So that person who really wants that big lot because Mm -hmm. they love raised beds and they just love landscaping projects, um, that could be a nightmare for for someone who's older, perhaps, who Mm -hmm. just doesn't want that kind of burden to take care of, for example. Uh, But there are a few things that most people can get behind in in the the true spirit of camaraderie and hatred, right? Yes. So condition is probably the biggest thing there. So it's it's always a challenge to sell a property that smells bad, for example, whether it smells like mildew, smells like, you know— Cat pee. You know, cat pee— Smells like, you know, not teen spirit, you know, people tend Dead to like that. you know, something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if it smells like a murder house, right? Right. So, smell is like that great smell. U- it's that great unifier of hatred, right? So, any. <sighs> I didn't I, even think of smell. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've had a couple of listings where smell has been an issue, and I've been very upfront that, you know, we either need to get ahead of this or you need, you need to price an appropriate discount accordingly because right. smell is just such a primal thing. And right. all the pretty listing pictures, all the staging in the world just. Can't get past the dead bodies. Can't get past the the, the cat pee or anything, right? right? So uh, something that's um, very intangible, but something to really be aware of, whether you're a buyer or especially a seller, is what we appraisers call functional utility. So, mm-hmm. in plain speak, what that means is how do your how does your house flow? How does mm-hmm. it work? How efficient is the space? And how does the usage of the space and the layout of the house and just the overall feel compare to similar properties? Mm-hmm. So if a, if a buyer is looking to buy, maybe in the mid-300 range, and they're looking at different houses, including yours, um, how favorably would they look at your your house if, let's say, you finished your garage and you turned it into um, a bonus room versus other houses that have regular garages? Mm -hmm. So some people are unfortunately under the misguided impression that, oh, it's more living space, it's an extra bedroom, ergo, that's greater sales value, right? Right. Wrong, wrong. <laughs> dead wrong, dead wrong. Because you, for one, you've lost a garage, so yeah. they're forced to park their car outside the street. and That's mm-hmm. just a hassle, so they won't even consider your house. But for two, the finish doesn't match the doesn't match the house at all. Right, um, it
0: looks like a garage.
2: It looks like a garage conversion. It, it just looks haphazard in most cases. There are very very few except there are very few instances of a garage conversion done well. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there are only really a couple neighborhoods I can think of in the area in which garage conversions are common and in which. That probably wouldn't hurt you then because Mm -hmm. that's what buyers who are looking in that area are then expecting. But really, I mean, the hard and fast rule, if you're you're a homeowner who's looking to increase your value or just improve your appeal or if you're thinking of selling down the road, really, if you're thinking purely dollars and cents, not what you want, not what you enjoy, but just how to get the most out of it, um, really consider which homes – a buyer would also consider buying mm-hmm. and make your house conform to them as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so
0: standing out as the most unusual property is no. not always a good plan.
2: No, it's not. Because I mean, even if you have, even if your house stands out in a good way, like you have the glitter and the glitz and the the quartz and the tile mm-hmm. backsplash and the hardwoods and all that, but but you're in a market where that's completely uncommon, mm-hmm. and all the houses are plainer than you. Um, you're not going to make your money back. You're, right. and if anything, you might hurt yourself a little. And even if, even if you remodel and, and remodeling is something that's favorably looked at in your particular market segment, um, if you just have just this awesome, badass kitchen remodel, you spend an arm and a leg doing it, but the rest of your house is plain Jane, mm-hmm. you just made your house look plain Jane. Because right. most people are going to they, – they might glance at your kitchen, but it's just going to make the rest of your house look dated, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. So there's an art and a science to mm-hmm. it, but basically make your house flow, make it common, and it just – Make everything simpatico with neighboring properties that are similar.
0: What about schools? Once upon a time, it seemed people were concerned about schools. Are people concerned about schools still?
2: Uh, schools definitely make a difference uh, mm-hmm. with with a very big caveat that um, realtors, good realtors anyway, are, um, were trained to be very cagey about that question because yeah. of fair housing laws. Okay. So there's a thing called steering, which based on the name of your podcast, you're certainly very aware of the, yeah. the history of steering and redlining, right? Yeah. I mean, there was a time, and unfortunately in some cases there still is a time, yeah. when people get very different treatment and they get shifted towards to this neighborhood or, or away neighborhood. from that neighborhood yeah. based on how they look or how yeah. they talk or what their name yeah. looks like, right? And so, um, as a result, ethical good realtors, um, we do not tell you about this is a quote unquote good school. Uh-huh. Um, my company, at least, we're not even allowed to tell you what the test scores are. This is a uh-huh. quote unquote high performing school. Uh, if someone asks, I just tell them, you know, um, it's
0: available ta- yeah, online. Ta- Tacoma's yeah, Tacoma's
2: great. You can go to the to the Tacoma Public Schools website to look up the information. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I can basically say things that are publicly verifiable, like so- we're an innovative high school. You know, mm-hmm. we we have great. Um, you know, collaborative schools in the area. Um, but yeah, all that's yeah. public information.
0: so this is so this is a thing for me. And this is on on you know segueing into gentrification. So gentrification is, I don't even want to call it a problem. I just think it's just a thing. Mm -hmm. It it is like saying evolution. I mean, these things happen. And one of the reasons it happens is, you know, Tacoma invested in schools, right? Mm -hmm. So our schools are like way more beautiful now than they were 20 years ago. They are way more functional now. Um, Graduation rates are night and day. Hugely higher. So much better.
2: High 50s in the mid-2000s to 89.5. Right. right.
0: I mean, it's just a a huge difference.
2: And most of those gains were in less privileged students, too.
0: Right. Exactly. So everyone wants that. Yes. Right. But it suddenly makes Tacoma more attractive. Mm -hmm. So potholes everywhere. If your streets are just uh, undriveable, nobody wants that. Everyone wants better streets. So we've invested in better streets but that makes Tacoma more attractive. right? We have a downtown that was kind of a dead zone. It's still a little bit dead, but it's much better than it was. Again, everyone wants this, but because we've done it, we've invested in it, it's now more attractive to people Mm -hmm. who want to come in.
2: Yeah, look at McMinimins, the light rail's going to come in. Exactly. Look at that that part of Pacquiao around 7th. South downtown even, around UW.
0: So if I'm frustrated and I think, you know, my neighborhood, I mean it wasn't pretty, and it wasn't great, but it was affordable, and now I see these people coming in, these people who I would have once called yuppies, mm-hmm. you know, younger people with higher incomes coming into my neighborhood. And I don't really like that very much because I know I'm going to get priced out. Right. You know, my my aunts and my uncles are going to get priced out. What do I do about
2: it? Well, I mean,
0: a- I am thinking, do I have a, um, you know. Do I dig up my sewer line to stink up the neighborhood? <laughs> do I start a rumor about, you know, gangs getting back together and, you know, shots being fired last night? Do I talk about, you know, drug sellers on the corner? I mean, what can I do to ruin my neighborhood?
2: You can be that one jerk on next door, right? Right. <laughs> right, oh, next door. And so Redacted so uh, <laughs> so there, there's the long term and the short term, right? I mean, short term, there's a ton of practical, really common sense stuff that we can work on to enhance affordability and, and it's, it's really parallel to the school discussion. I, I mm-hmm. think this, that's probably the best example for what the short-term and medium- term tactics and strategies for affordability relate to, because it wasn't just one thing that our schools did yeah. to improve graduation rate. It, it was a host of so many small things all joined together in a very patient. Multi-year, I mean, decade and a half process, and it's still ongoing. And there's, we could backtrack it any second, right? That's mm-hmm. that's something the school district right. is in right. school any board. Any year are,
0: we could start dragging, yeah. right?
2: Are are really conscious of right? So that's that's what housing is going to have to entail. Is going to be everything from greater flexibility for infill, like backyard cottages and mother-in-laws. Um, taking a look at the fact that such a significant supermajority of our land use is single-family, and mm-hmm. we multi-family is illegal. So, taking a look at at the supply and that factor, which your previous speakers touched on, that 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 is a big factor. Um, looking at alternatives like housing cooperatives, community land trusts, um, greater investments in in um, and greater awareness of well, and, programs like homeownership promotion.
0: And I guess I would say too, maybe a little bit of backwards thinking. Mm-hmm. And I, and this is where I sort of like you know how to ruin my neighborhood sure. type thing. You, you don't really want to ruin your neighborhood, but having your neighborhood. Be improved, 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 improved. Mm-hmm. It makes it maybe not so affordable anymore.
2: Well, here's here's what I think. So, I don't use the word gentrification because gentrification yeah. is very broad, and yeah. it, it basic what gentrification really means is the neighborhood gets quote unquote nicer. Well, I. And, va- values and go up. What we
0: all picture is white people move in, right? Right.
2: Well, the extern, the externality of gentrification is what we worry about, which is yeah. what I, what I focus on, which I call displacement, mm-hmm. and that's that's really what we talk about is mm-hmm. that is that. The neighborhood getting nicer is a winner-take-all, uh-huh. and that's that's really the long-term, and that, that's really the more radical, the more type of dangerous conversation here, is decoupling a house from a commodity. Uh-huh. That's that's really the bigger conversation here. Is is should you quote-unquote build wealth? Should yeah. should you gain money um, at the expense of someone else being able to move into that right. neighborhood? Should right. should a place where you live also be a commodity.
0: But you know the reality is I think for a lot of people, I mean for most of us, mm-hmm. our house is our right. primary asset and, and so that is going to be sort of like the investment for our old age.
2: Right. And and that kind of begs a larger conversation, too, which is, should we all be reliant on a nest egg instead of actually taking care of ourselves, mm-hmm. instead of investing in a larger yeah. um, society with adequate pensions for older people, mm-hmm. with health care that you're not reliant on your boss for, right. with with daycare not you know, right. a- actually being paid for and provided instead of having to pay the equivalent of a second month's rent to take care of your kid, right? So that, that's a larger conversation. And that's but, where... I'm sorry, good
0: No, I was going to say, but one of the things I think is that... Um, some of the things we do and don't do – and neighborhoods don't want this. So so no neighborhood is happy if you say um, we really need a new drug treatment uh, house mm-hmm. and a sober living house and we're going to put it in your neighborhood, uh, Yakima Street in North Tacoma, and everyone's just up in arms. But actually it's you know integrating all of these things into the broader community rather than isolating them in – you know, around the healthcare facilities or I can't in just be south, south of the freeway. I
2: mean I mean Proctor Stadium, North yeah. End, Northeast needs more affordable housing, more low income housing. Right. Just like we need more market rate housing south of the freeway.
0: But I just don't know that we're ever gonna get it unless I mean how do we get it? How do how do how can you make it so that um, things maybe what I'm saying is how can you can you do anything to keep it from being one end of town goes skyrocketing right. and everyone else sort of just stays where they
2: are. Sure. So again, this is a question of long-term versus short-term, right? Mm -hmm. In the short-term, you can't. In the short-term, you're held hostage to market Market. economics and you can steer it sort of through incentives, through zoning, through things like a a really good idea, which is something that takes a long term to uh, a very long time to realize is inclusionary zoning, Mm -hmm. which basically means that you upzone an area. You allow for denser development, taller buildings, but in exchange for that extra opportunity to make extra profit, the developer has to, is required to, at that point, put in some percentage of affordable housing into that development that's mm-hmm. permanent, effectively. Mm-hmm. And so that's one tool that basically capitalizes on that extra market activity, and you're going where the development's going, so yeah. which tends to be primarily in richer areas, yeah. north of the freeway or in areas that are transitioning into mm-hmm. more gentrified areas, like Hilltop, um, and then you bake affordability into those developments and you do mm-hmm. it in a way that allows developers to recover the cost. So that's that's one really good short-term policy, medium-term policy that some cities have done successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, but long-term, I mean, if you're really looking at ways to kind of to quote Daenerys Targaryen in Game of Thrones, right, mm-hmm. to break the wheel, right, yeah. um, to, is, is to actually decouple or at least decouple in, in the significant sector of, of the housing world um, – Commodification from the place where you live. So a mm-hmm. really good idea behind that, and in places that have actually done it practically, we're not talking about, you know, communes, but we're, we're actually talking about real policy that affects millions of people, is uh, places like Vienna, Austria, places like Stockholm, Sweden, places like Singapore, mm-hmm. where they've made a conscious policy choice to enshrine housing as a constitutional right mm-hmm. for people. And what's important is that these are public sector agencies that are not means tested. So public housing doesn't have the same kind of epithet as it does here. It's yeah. not for the poors, quote unquote right. Um, any person from a, a doctorate wielding you know attorney to mm-hmm. a, to a, a struggling student to anyone in between can live in a public house mm-hmm. um, And of course since you don't have the profit motive, it's cheaper rent. Mm-hmm. They're well maintained because you have cheaper operating costs because you have higher or medium as well as lower income people there so that's that's another benefit. But what happens there, and a good example down here locally in Tacoma would be Click because you have public sector competition, is that through that market competition from the public sector, you have a permanent disciplining of the private rental market. So even if you're not renting in the public sector apartments, um, you're benefiting from – effectively a surplus on the market that would not exist mm-hmm. if, it, if was, it was purely private. if it, if it was purely private because mm-hmm. the market will not tolerate a glut for long that's how markets work is you correct based on oversupply and just like right now we're correcting for the shortage in, in today's mm-hmm. market and and so forth so really if you want to look at one term one longer term thing that would have a really good bang for your buck it's all-inclusive, non-means-tested public sector housing mm-hmm. that's well-designed, it's beautiful, available to everyone, and in, in sufficient quantity that you can actually drive down prices and compete with the private sector. Okay. and you'd need to have something like public banking with qualitative easing to effectively increase to the money, increase the money supply to to build those larger capital assets to actually find mm-hmm. to actually finance those things.
0: So that's sort of a good policy long term,
2: right? Very long term. And our
0: short term <laughs> is make it smell.
2: Make it smell is uh, I. I, I well. You can't
0: endorse that as a strategy, but right, it is reality.
2: Well, if it I mean, smells,
0: it doesn't sell.
2: If you don't want anything to sell, yes, make it okay. smell pretty loud. All
0: right, <laughs> or, so- <laughs> or
2: common sense local policies that we can do in the here and now.
0: Okay, you're the better person than I am. Wow. Ah. Um, so what else is going on in Tacoma now? This is your opportunity to gossip and and you know sure, speculate yeah. wildly. So any uh, any interesting news on the campaign front?
2: Sure. Yeah. The the campaign front is actually fairly professional and it, it's, it's it's um pretty uh you know uh non-controversial which... have you
0: figured out who you're gonna vote for in the in the port race between uh, keller and boykin now that justin's out
2: oh boykin all the way
0: okay oh, why well, why do you say that
2: oh because uh, i mean i, I was camarada all the way long right not just because i've known the guy for a while and not just because i served with him on the council but uh he, he was just so qualified and mm-hmm. such a moral voice but um I'm, I'm troubled with what I've heard about um, one of the candidates there that you mentioned. Uh, I, I think her, well, for one, her company's ties to surveillance. I mean, that's okay. that's I think automatically disqualifying. But um, the Port Commission is, has forever been this this stasis, status quo place where the board effectively just follows what staff tells them to do. Yeah, and um, they've had no vision for not only capitalizing on, on what's a significant. Um, economic lever for our area Mm -hmm. Uh, but they've been wedded to the past and just unquestioning in their we will take any kind of of economic growth approach. Right. No matter the long term. Right. If you've, if you've ecological... got a, a puppy
0: harvesting factory, we're interested.
2: Oh, but that's jobs, Evelyn. Exactly. You're not against jobs, are you?
0: <laughs> Some, right. yes.
2: Well, what if they're stinky jobs, huh? What about that?
0: But then the pricing comes down. Okay. Right?
2: See, there you go. Um, so I, I think we're, we're grown up enough as a community to have standards mm. um, for economic development and, and, um, I um, I know Frank. I think he, he's definitely qualified for the mm-hmm. position. I think that we can trust him to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Justin was definitely my first choice in the primary, but just like any primary moving into mm-hmm. a general, I think it's, it's our job as responsible civic members of the community who have the responsibility of informing our friends about political decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we have a responsibility to unite behind someone who's an acceptable choice and mm-hmm. um, who's not someone whose company partnered with – ICE to um, perform surveillance on people in communities.
0: That's interesting. So we, we talked about this in the last program. So that ICE contract thing, that was a significant um, factor for you in, in coming to your decision.
2: Well, yeah, that and, and that candidate in particular is, is just wedded to business as usual, the mm-hmm. same kind of Chamber of Commerce style of, um, of just antiquated fossil fuel, 19th century economic development, which is mm-hmm. destroying not just our planet, but our economic livelihood. And we can do better.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, in the positive... Uh, October is Arts Month in Tacoma. It sure is. Are you going to be doing any of the arts activities? Well, there's kaleidoscope. There is the Tacoma Film Festival. There's the studio tours.
2: Oh, there's always the film festival, and mm-hmm. and it's kind of traditional. We always have council members who attend there and you know speak to. Uh, if there are different sister city events that right. uh, that speak there, um, um, my favorite has always been Vladivostok because because oh, okay. uh, I speak very terrible Russian okay. and it's it's awesome to uh-huh. <laughs> to polish uh, to polish my chops. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, that's that's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, really, the best way that my wife and I and our friends celebrate art in Tacoma is just with drunken karaoke. Um, okay. Uh, our favorite haunt, or we have a couple of favorite haunts. One of them, one of them is Puget Sound Pizza. Okay. Because one, their pizza is great. Yeah. And it's right next to McMinniman's and it's right. It's pretty amazing. Um, so Puget Sound Pizza is a great selection, good beer, good pizza, all that. Um, the be- one of the better other um, alternatives for karaoke. And it's just the diviest dive that ever dived is Bob's Java, Java Jive. I
0: was going to say Java Jive. I mean, yeah.
2: if you're talking about smell and depressing prices, mm-hmm. boy, have you found your, your match, right? But that
0: just makes Tacoma so wonderful, doesn't it?
2: No, it's it's just it's so authentic. And by yeah. authentic, I mean it's like 1983 never stopped, right? Right. And, it's, and their selection's pretty good. And, yeah. and uh,
0: What's your karaoke number that you sing?
2: Oh, my. Um, when in doubt, um, I default back to Black Hole Sun uh, by Soundgarden. That's a good one. <laughs> Uh, there's some Beatles tunes, uh, uh, Leonard Cohen's "Hallelujah." Uh, th- th- Always are, a good one. Yeah, yeah. some good okay. ones. Johnny Cash. All you know. right.
0: You know, talking about Arts Month, one of the things that I have to conclude though is that no matter how stinky I make my neighborhood, mm-hmm. Tacoma's going to sell.
2: Yeah, and I mean, stink, just, stink is the new fragrance, right? I yeah, mean,
0: it's just too nice a place.
2: Yeah, well, that's the truth. I mm-hmm. mean, affordable is is something that's going to be our long term struggle, but. Mm-hmm. I think at the same time, I mean, if you talk to people who've actually come from neighborhoods that are struggling, no one wants a poor neighborhood to stay poor. Right. That's, I mean, fighting displacement, gentrification, whatever you call it. Doesn't mean status quo. It, it right. doesn't. It doesn't mean tolerating violence. It doesn't mean right. tolerating um, code enforcement violations or, or hoarders or anything. Uh, what it really means is constructing an economy and constructing a political order in which one person's gain isn't someone else's loss. And that's oh. that's the biggest challenge, and that's that's. Um, it's
0: a challenge of our lifetime.
2: Right, right. But um, I think we can walk and chew gums at the same time as a species and as as to and it just takes more conversations like these, and it takes active civic participation, and of course voting too. Voting too.
0: Okay. Well. Not much more we have to add to that, Anders. Thank oh, well, you. Thank you so much.
2: Such a pleasure. Thank you, Evelyn.
0: Okay. And stay tuned. Uh, next time, uh, we'll have more interesting topics at Tacoma's talk show, Crossing Division. Nazdravio. you. Thank you.
1: Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.